What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. Ben, today's topic is one that we just kind of stumbled across uh, not too long ago. We were looking through uh, some online articles, and we discovered, and because we're not from the West Coast, we're down here in the Southeast, right? we discovered that the Peterson Museum is offering vault tours now. Ah, yes. And this is a huge deal. Uh, for longtime listeners, you've heard us mention the Peterson Museum before, relatively new, founded in 1994 by the publisher Robert E. Peterson. Uh, this is a, an enormous, amazing thing. It's one of the world's largest auto museums. Yeah, we've talked about the Peterson Museum many, many times because, you know, famous cars will end up there, movie right. cars. Uh, you know, um, they have 22 galleries. I don't know a total number of vehicles that are on display, but it's a it's a huge, beautiful museum. I know when we talked about, um, I think it was Lowriders, uh-huh. we, we, we specifically talked about the Peterson because I think that originally that museum was supposed to um, convey the idea of the Southern California car culture scene. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it, okay, so there, there are some recent events, too, that we should catch people up on. Okay. All right. So on October 19th, 2014, the museum went in for remodeling, right? Yeah, yeah and that's going to last for a long time, right? More, right. More yeah. than a year. Yeah, it's going to reopen a little bit more than a year later, December 1st of this year. It's 2015 as we record this. Uh, around that time before it went into remodeling, they had 150 vehicles or so on display okay in the main galleries all right so going back to the vaults you guys when um i don't know if you've ever been to the smithsonian uh up there when dc or one of the smithsonians mm-hmm. right so they have these vaults of things that get rotated in and out of displays or in some cases never see yeah. the proverbial light of day essentially we're talking about the basement they drive yes. them into the basement. Now, it's a drive-in basement, obviously, because there's a bunch of cars down there. Ah. And the thing is that prior to very recently, I don't know when they started this exactly, but um, it was big news when they allowed when they finally had official vault tours, because prior to that, you either had to work there, know somebody or sneak in. And some people did sneak in, I think, from what I hear. Um, <laughs> there's some funny tales online about that. But um, once they offered these vault tours, now, I think the tours last uh, 
I want to say an hour, hour and a half, something like that. It's a, it's, they're over an hour long. They say it's kind of cold down there and apparently no photos are allowed on the tours, but I, I don't know how that's possible because we see photos from the vault. Yeah, right. I, there, there have to be a, a certain amount of promo photos, right? Where mm-hmm. they have a professional photographer take, uh, take supervised photographs under conditions. But there are a lot of photos too where you can tell somebody, uh, quote unquote, got a text on their phone. Oh and, yeah. You know, snap something really quick. And let's, let's be honest. There, there are reasons that a museum would not want that kind of photography. Sure. There's, there's exclusivity, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in an art museum, I guess there's concern about the damage done to the paint over time by flash photography. Yeah. Maybe the same applies to old paint jobs. I don't know. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Could yeah. be. I mean, I'm sure that it, you know that it's climate controlled down there. That's why they keep it cool. They probably keep it uh, at the right humidity and all that. You know, everything is, is adjusted down there for a specific reason to, per, you know, preserve what's there. But what's interesting to me about this, Ben, or most interesting to me is that these cars are, are not in what you call museum quality when you see them. They're, uh, they're, they're cars that, you know, there'll be a puddle of oil underneath it on the ground sure. below it. Still um, uh, four flat tires. Yeah, f- yeah, four flat tires on some of the cars. I mean, they'll be dust covered. Um, you know, just a, a, a shop manual laying on the, the passenger seat, you know, where they're tr- still trying to work things out, figure out the electrical system of the car. There's, there's some amazing stuff down there, and that's... This kind of all goes back to, uh, I don't know, my garage peeping problem that I have, where I like to look <laughs> inside people's garages when they're open or whatever. It's like you just never know what you're going to see in there. And it, it's interesting to see the kind of, uh, I don't know, clutter and the uh, um, the, the stuff that people have amassed over, over time. And, and this is kind of like what the museum has amassed over time. Now, I know that some of these are on their way up to the main floor, you know, for the show. Yeah. So they're going to get those ready a little faster, but they rotate them in and out of the, of this place. So it's cars that you rarely see. Um, just to give you an example, I think they have um, they have a, a Steve McQueen Jaguar XKSS down there. They have a, a Ferrari that was given to Henry Ford II by Enzo Ferrari as a yeah. gift. Yeah. Uh, down there, and you know what's interesting about that? I I, I find that fascinating because remember. There's that whole Ford Ferrari uh, battle that was going on right around the time of, uh, of um, what, the late 1960s, early 1960s. And that was the the birth of the Ford GT40. Remember, they were trying to bet. Uh, I think it was Ford was trying to buy Ferrari. Uh-huh. And they refused the sale. So so what's the deal with, you know, them giving him a, a gift Ferrari? I mean, it's a strange. I bet there's an interesting story behind it. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like an olive branch. Yeah, it kind of does. It really does. Uh, there, There's also... Uh, a gold-plated DeLorean, mm. which... Oh, interesting. That's weird. <laughs> I thought was pretty weird. Yeah. Uh, there are some one-of-a-kind cars that you will never see again. I, you know, if if you're familiar with the Peterson Museum, then you already know that that's you can see some movie cars there, like the, uh, the bug from Herbie, mm-hmm. right? But in the vault, they also have cars that played a role in history outside of the cinema, mm-hmm. like the... Uh, wait, was the Mercedes that Saddam Hussein... Drove. Oh yeah, that's one of the cars on the list, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and that's parked right next to somebody else's Mercedes that looks almost well. It's nearly identical, isn't it? Very yeah, close. Yeah, uh, Jack Nicholson's uh, seventy-two Mercedes Benz six hundred Grosso. Yeah, it's funny to see them next to each other like that. It's like, well, here's Jack Nicholson's, there's Saddam Hussein's. Uh huh. Looks uh, very, very similar. These are interesting cars, by the way. Yeah, they're, um, they're pretty beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of a lot of features way ahead of their time on those on mm-hmm. those particular models. But okay, we'll get into those. I promise. Totally. Because there's a there's a whole long list of these. Now they're they're antique cars. They're they're cars. Um, you know, like you said, from heads of state, they're hot rods, they're celebrity sure. cars, Hollywood cars, muscle cars, race cars, exotics, mm-hmm. motorcycles, uh, 
pamphlets. Oh, that's one thing that um, this article that we're going to kind of go through here with uh, with just 10 examples. Um, there's other stuff down there, too. And one thing that I thought was really curious was that they have just bookshelf after bookshelf lined with, uh, you know, the old Chilton's manuals or the Haynes yeah, manuals yeah, or the yeah. shop manuals from the manufacturers for every single one of these cars that's either on display or not on display that's down in the vault. And all of them are in like, you know, they're in, they're in good shape. It's just, but they've been used. I mean, they're, they're, they're greasy. They've got thumbprints all over uh-huh. them. They've got bookmarks, you know, in them for, for, you know, the mechanics to come back and take a look at. I find that stuff fascinating, like the behind the scenes museum stuff. Me too. Uh, because they, they have a warning at the, at the top, or maybe I, we should just say a sign. They have a sign at the, at the entrance. Where, you know, it says something like, welcome to the vault. You are about to enter an exclusive, unparalleled collection of beautiful and historically significant vehicles. This is a working garage and storage facility, mm-hmm. right? This isn't supposed to be pretty. This is supposed to be a, a working service center. And it's not pretty. I mean, that's a thing. And I kind of like that about it. It's a little bit gritty. It's a little bit greasy. I like that. I like that, you know, some of the cars have flat tires and they've got dry rot and, and all that. It's like a parking deck. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's pretty fascinating to be able to take a peek behind the curtain, I guess, on this and, and, and see what's down there. And I found in Popular Mechanics a, a short list of 10, yeah. what they said were strange and notorious cars from the Peterson Museum vault. But then there's, there's, Countless photos online of other vehicles down there, so you can kind of comb through those. Because when these vault tours were happening, uh, you know, prior to October of last year, uh, a lot of people went down there and took advantage and, and said, you know, I'm going to make a little list of what's there. If right. they, even if they didn't photograph it, they at least, you know, marked it somehow, wrote about it in a blog or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of information out there about what's there. I'm kind of excited about, you know, December when they reopen. Oh, yeah. What's going to happen? Because if they're renovating the top part of the museum, the main the main part of the galleries, mm-hmm. I wonder if they're going to do any renovation in the vault area to make more space, possibly. I don't know. Maybe that's not in the works. But it would be interesting if they did and kind of made that part of the museum. But then... Does that take away some of the uh, the excitement of going into the vault? You know, into the yeah. There's something to be said for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's it's nice to you know clean up the work area, I guess, if that's what they're going to do. But yeah. I also kind of like it a little gritty. Yeah, I like it too. Let's let's make it real. Uh, so we're going to talk about just ten of the cars that are in the vault, and uh, let's let's hop right into it. Let's start with number ten, the 1927. Pedroso. Yeah, this is weird. This is a guy, the Marquis de Pedroso, uh, who is a wealthy Spaniard who lived in, in, in France, somewhere in France, decided that he wanted to build his own sports car. And in order to build this car, he had to find a, a unique supercharged straight eight engine, which is, by the way, it looks like a museum piece alone. Oh, yeah. It's an amazing engine. It's Beautiful. two thirds of the car. <laughs> it really is. It's a, it's a gorgeous engine. And they've got it on, you know, they've got it opened up and displayed in that yeah. way. I mean, the car is a little bit, you know, rough, but anyways. Um, a couple of interesting things that this thing has. I mean, it's got ignition timing that was adjustable from the dash. Now you had to like, you, okay, so think about variable valve timing. Right. You're, adju- you know, that's all electronic now. Mm-hmm. You're adjusting the variable valve timing on the dash while you're driving this thing in a car from 1927. <laughs> that's pretty revolutionary. Yeah, and that's not all. It also had a smart chassis underslung in the rear portion. So this was all to bring the passenger compartment closer to the ground so you could really feel the road when you're driving. Yeah, and when he finished it, he was kind of in a hurry to, to get out and drive it. <laughs> of course he was, right? He wanted yeah. to drive it. So, so he decided that he was going to take a couple of wicker chairs from his patio and fit them to the car. And then later, much later, 
had them covered so that they look like, uh, you know, well, regular seats that would be in a, a sportster like this. Yeah. Um, but there's still the wicker seats underneath there. Those are the original seats that were in the car that, that he put in there. And only two of these vehicles were ever built. This is the only one around today, but there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, there's a twist. He, the car was also delivered to the museum with blueprints. So there's a complete set of blueprints for this car. You could build another one if you wanted to, if someone were to, uh, to be that ambitious. Yeah, exactly. And I hope that they will at some point. Because uh, we're we're fans of reproduction cars. Oh, yeah. And this is a really cool looking one, too. So if you get a chance to look up the 1927 Pedroso, yes. uh, you won't be uh, upset by that one. All right. Number nine. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I just love this one, man. It just, okay. This is a strange one. All right. It's it's a Pope mobile, but yeah. it's not any Pope mobile. It's uh, it's it's. One of the very few open top carriers that the Pope ever rode in. And this is one that was built for, uh, his, uh, Pope John Paul II's trip to Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a 1998 Cadillac Pope Mobile. But for those of you who've heard our Pope Mobile episode, as you know, the Vatican does not condone the use of that phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the weird thing is that as you said, this is an open carrier, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Pope John Paul II never actually rode in this vehicle. There were some security concerns uh, about where he was going to be going at that stadium in Mexican, uh, Mexico City. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations 
questions that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So while he did uh, literally give it his blessing, like he blessed the vehicle, he did not actually ever ride in it. All right. Well, he never did really ride in this car. Um, you know, it's all configured and ready to go for him. And what the strangest, maybe the weirdest feature about this whole thing is that that big papal seat that sits that, that, that kind of uh, thrusts out of the back area there where right. the where the back seat normally would be. And I'm sure that there's. You know, side seats there for security as well. But sure. the papal seat sits on a hydraulic system that can raise or lower the seat by up to 20 inches. It's really weird looking when you mm-hmm. see it. Also, when the passenger doors open and close, these steps fold, you know, in and out to ease the Pope's entrance. So he can get in easy, he can get out easy. And maybe one of the other unusual bits about this thing is that the construction was cl- completed here in North America by two different companies that you probably wouldn't expect. There's an American limo company. Uh, named Eureka, and I thought Eureka made hearses also. It seems like they're maybe a hearse provider as well. Yeah, I think they do uh, a couple of different kinds of custom coaching. Yeah, I would guess you know a limo maker would also make hearses. So yeah, um, yeah probably probably limo and hearses. But yeah. um, and also and this is a weird one. Roush Performance helped work on this. Ford, a Ford performance company, worked on this Cadillac for the Pope in Mexico. It's just a strange mix of yeah. uh, mix of. Constructors. They usually do tuning. I guess they decided that it needed to scoot. Yes, yeah, huh? very strange. It is strange. Well, they probably had a lot to do with, uh, you know, maybe like the layout of the hydraulics and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, possibly. But, yeah. And uh, this leads, speaking of strange, this leads us to number eight. Saddam Hussein's 1978 Mercedes-Benz 600 Landolet. Yeah, this is weird. The, the Landolet versions of these cars uh, were actually the most rare of these types of vehicles. So if you see a, uh, a you know Mercedes limo from this era that is a Landolet, um, it's one of the one of the um, more expensive models. These are the cars of presidents, dictators, um, aristocrats, mm-hmm. you know, landed gentry. These are excuse me, not even landed gentry. These are the cars of the world's decision makers. Yeah, and what's strange about this type of model is that, and maybe it's unusual, I guess. I've seen other cars, you know, even at Concours events that have these. Um, they had a solid roof above the driver, and then the convertible top over the back section that could open up and allow, you know, the crowds to see the person, you know, the uh, the head of state as they pass by in a parade. Right. Yeah. Um, I've seen cars like that in, in person, and it's such an unusual look. It's a really strange look when the uh, when the driver is in the covered area. And the top is back, uh, the back area is uncovered. Yeah. And if you just look at this kind of vehicle, it says power, you know, the, the beginning of, uh, the, excuse me, the front, the classic lines, uh, the, the big, uh, vents on the side of the bodywork, mm-hmm. uh, which is weird. You can, you can see them, uh, from different shots. They're on the rear of the vehicle, uh, and they drew air for the AC, which is, installed in the trunk yeah that's a weird thing to have but but understandably so because i mean there's probably 10 feet of difference between the front cabin area there and then the back oh, yeah. uh you know where the where the uh, uh the head of state or, or the, the would actually yeah that. the uh the communist dictator would be sitting back there right because that's a that's the kind of car that this looks like to me it looks like it's a, a dictator's car mm-hmm. uh, somebody that you would see in a parade 
uh, driving past the past the people as they wave and in their opulent Mercedes limo. Now, the story of how Peterson got this is really strange to me. Uh, so an Iraqi national, after uh, Saddam Hussein's overthrow in 2003, an Iraqi national drove the Mercedes out of the country and into Jordan. What that really means is he stole the car. Yeah, and it's not in that great of shape. I mean, it's yeah. pretty beat up. I can see some uh, some uh, some dents and some rust on the front end here as yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Um, it's in it's in rough condition. But so when it got to Jordan, um, a car collector who also lives in the U.S. pointed uh, the Peterson Museum staff, you know, to the location of this car, and then they arranged for the uh, for the the sale and the delivery of it. And everything. Yeah, I love I love that vague phrase, a Jordanian car collector. It's just, <laughs> yeah, that's it's, right. a, it's like when you read. A private businessman. Well, you know, it ended up at a Mercedes-Benz distributor in Jordan. Right. And then the museum bought it from this Mercedes-Benz distributor. So I kind of understand the the you know the flow of, of the car after that point. But maybe what happened beforehand, like you said, he stole the car. That it's a stolen stole car. car. Yeah, he did. He uh, stole the dictator's car. And uh, one piece of trivia here. Uh, there are so many dents on the... On the vehicle, because once the guards were done with their duties, they would sit on the truck and their rifle butts would knock down on the metal. That's <laughs> funny. I mean, just like very careless, very uh, just no concern for that type of vehicle. I mean, I would feel immense relief if I worked directly for Saddam Hussein and then he just and, you know, he left the car and he went into the, the palace or whatever. I would totally relax. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. I probably wouldn't mess with the car though. I don't think I would either. No, there's no way I'm touching that car. All right, let's move on to number seven. These are, these are really uh, interesting. I mean, if nothing else, they, they, they just scream 1960s hot rod. Um, yeah, for sure. This is uh, the 1963 XR6 hot rod. And this one in particular is the one that they mentioned because it was built, um, part of, of part of a, like a three issue series mm-hmm. in Hot Rod magazine back in the 1960s. Yeah. And, uh, the, it had several, of the big names and custom cars working on it, including George Barris. Yeah, not a bad name to have working on your car, hey? Um, <laughs> right, so, not at all. No, no, I wouldn't think so. It uses a VW Beetle front suspension, and, um, of course, they say that it takes inspiration from the jet age. I can clearly see that. And, oh, this is really weird. Asymmetrical design cues throughout the entire car. So, for example... Um, you know, the driver's seat back is raised just a little bit more than the passenger seat belt. The gauges are offset just a little bit. The, the hood scoop is installed only on the driver's side. It's not on the passenger side. Right, yeah. It's, it's just an interesting car to build. And it, and it does. I mean, the color, the look of it, everything. And even the car that's parked in the background there. <laughs> I mean, they both just, again, they just scream 1960s hot rod. You know, yeah. the, the, uh, rat fink culture, I guess. Ah, uh, yes. The, uh, the, the thing itself, the asymmetry here, is not immediately apparent, but mm-hmm. once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I clearly see that, and it does kind of bug me a little bit that, you know, it's not symmetrical, it's not all lined up. I don't know why. It's just that's the way I am about the stuff. So if we're speaking of monster machines, then we've got to move on to the next one, the 1920 Mathon B-16 T-Bucket Roadster. Yeah. This thing is a beast, man. Yep, this is, uh, this is from 1923 Ford T-Bucket that uh, they created into or built into a hot rod. It was built in the early 1990s. And this engine, we see, you said a V16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it was created by joining two Chevy 350 V8s together at the crankshaft. Right. And not only did they somehow do it successfully, but they did it twice. Uh, this is the only one of those motors that made it into a vehicle. So 
it's got an estimated, and this is just estimated. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think they've ever opened it all the way up. Yeah. Oh, I doubt it. But, uh, yeah, the horsepower? Yeah. Pretty high. Yeah. Estimated 550 horsepower. Yeah. You know, okay. I said pretty high, but you know what? When you think about two V8s joined together to make a V16, yeah. you would just assume that thing would have like a thousand horsepower, but I bet it's pretty strong anyways. I mean, it looks mean. It's maybe the, the, uh, the coolest looking car down there as far as I've seen. Yeah. And it is, as you can imagine, listeners, it is a long vehicle. Its chassis is stretched. I, you know, they, they clearly had to fabricate a lot of this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It almost looks like a dragster. It I mean, does. It, it has yeah. a dragster appearance. All right. So let's move on to number five. The 1948 Davis. And maybe what makes this one most unique, Ben, is that it's very rare. Yeah. This is uh, one of fewer than 20 cars built by a startup named Davis, which uh, which has an interesting story because it was founded by a guy named Gary Davis. Oh, and we should say this is a three wheeled car and it looks uh, like retro futuristic. Yeah. You know? And it's also that uh, that kind of notoriously bad uh, three wheel design, you know, the, the kind that's the, um, is it the, it's, it's not the Delta. tadpole, it's a Delta, Delta. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Delta configuration. So um, one wheel at the front, two at the back. Yeah. Terribly and, unstable. And pretty much, uh, um, capable of pulling parkour in yeah. terms of flipping. <laughs> that's right. It had to have been like, like they said, it just had to have been very, very difficult to drive, terrifying to drive, as they say. But the, the, the notorious part about this whole story, you know, why is it notorious is because, the uh, the founder of this company, uh, a guy named uh, Gary Davis. Right. He even though he maintained his innocence to the end. Sure. Um, he was taking you know customer money and dealer deposit money without ever delivering a single vehicle, and eventually convicted of fraud. So he was found guilty. And this um, was before Kickstarter. Uh, it was a lot. It was a lot more difficult to get away with that kind of thing back then. Oh yeah. So all these are hand built, of course. They were built in an uh, I think it was an airplane, airplane hangar. hangar yeah. yeah. And I'm sure that you know. Thinking back to the uh, the story of the Dale, um, yeah. which, by the way, I think maybe the Dale is down in the, uh, isn't there a Dale in the Peterson vault? Yes, there's the, I believe there's the one promotional one that yeah. has, you know, a lawnmower engine or yeah, something. Yeah, and, uh, like. and a 2x4 bumper or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah something like that. I mean, I, I'll have to look back at our Dale story, but um, some, some strange cars down there. But this reminds me a lot of that, you know, and that I'm sure that there was a lot of promotional material and printed material and, you know, uh, big talk about, you know, the, the, the car of the future. And, you know, this is something that people are going to love to come to your dealership and buy. So why wouldn't you want to buy a franchise in this? Yeah, and... What we should say about the Davis car is that it is so unstable that when it was parked, you could hop into – now, this is the Davis, not the Dale, because the Davis actually ran. Yeah. You could hop into the Davis while it was parked, and just by rocking back and forth side to side, you could knock this car over on yeah. the side. It would roll over. And, uh, and, you know, I think we've just recently, we mentioned that Top Gear episode where Jeremy Clarkson is driving <laughs> that Reliant Robin, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. The three-wheel car that he just continually rolls over. Same design, same idea. The one that's here looks like it's never been rolled over. I don't see any scuffs on the, uh, on the, the paintwork here, but, um, it's actually kind of, it's a neat looking little car. It's too bad it's so unstable. Yeah, it's yeah. too bad. Okay. But, uh, one, one thing that we should say in this, what, looking at this Davis brings it to mind. Is that some of these cars are in an active state of restoration? Yeah, some are, some are. Yeah, that's right. So this one could be on its way up to the main floor. Right. Um, and another one that we'll talk about now, the 
Number four contender, the MP Sportster. Yeah, this is a very rare find. Now, most people, when they think about a dune buggy, uh, they think about the, uh, the Bruce Myers, uh, VW Manx, you know, totally. that they make. Yeah. yeah, that's the, uh, the classic dune buggy look, the fiberglass fenders, you know, all up on top of the roll bar and everything. This one is similar. Not exactly. It's, 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 uh, more squared off, I suppose. It's, mm-hmm. it's, the bodywork is, is simpler. It's not quite as flowing. Uh, but it does look an awful lot like this. Now, it was made by a company called Empy, and Empy was a major mail order supplier of VW performance parts around, you know, around 1960, and or actually prior to 1960, and then around 1960s when they decided to create a kit car uh, to make VW Beetles off-road worthy. Right. So they used steel tubes, metal bodywork with these pretty sharp angular lines. Uh, that looked nothing like the Manx buggies. Uh, so if you look at these flat fenders, because this thing totally doesn't look aerodynamic. No. Uh, you can see it was inspired by the Jeeps that were around at that time. Okay. You know? I'm going to say, I'm going to say that when I look at this, I still, I still think Manx only because that, that classic doom buggy is, is burned into my, uh, yeah. into my brain as far as like, you know, that's what the doom buggy looks like. Now it, it does have, Quite a bit of differences, as you mentioned. It has, you know, the, the spare tires mounted on the front. Uh, like That's we're, true, yeah. Uh, where in a normal car, the engine would be. I say normal in quotes. Um, <laughs> so, you know, as we said, it's built uh, from a Volkswagen Bug or Beetle. So the engine's at the back. And, uh, you know, the, the open framework on top, you know, it looks a, a little bit more like, uh, well, definitely a lot more like Jeep than than uh, Volkswagen, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but it does have, it, it just... For some reason, it sparks that uh, that impression in my mind that, yeah, it looks like it could have been made by Manx maybe early on. Yeah, uh, and this was obtained from a retired prize fighter in Riverside, California. I wonder who that was. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, but because uh, you don't know when they collected this car. It could have been down there for 20 years. Who knows? Right, I mean, yeah. I, so I was trying to think, like, who, how am I ever going to figure out who that prize fighter is? But I guess unless we go there and read the plaque on the wall, we'll never know. All right. Now, Scott, I've got to, I got to hop in the driver's seat for this one. It's a car pun. Uh, number. <laughs> <laughs> nice work. Thank you, man. I worked on that earlier, as always. Uh, number three on our list is probably, mm, I'm going to say it, probably my favorite car is on it? this list. Okay. Yeah. I mean, who saw it coming? It's the 1925 Rolls Royce Phantom One. You guys, this is amazing. This car looks like frozen. Music. I love every. I love everything about it, except that I don't own it. It is beautiful. It really is. It's a. It's a striking car, yeah. and I, I can imagine in person this thing is even more impressive. And it looks. It looks huge. It looks like it's a gigantic car as well. Yeah. The proportions. Um. So this was a. Uh, you know, it's a pre World War II Rolls Royce that was rebodied. Yeah. Now I have a question about this. All okay. right. So before we get into the little details here, sure, sure. It says that it was rebodied. Um. Because. Everything underneath the body lasted longer than the body, they say, because the, the prep work that was, you know, done to the body work before it went on the, on the chassis yeah. was not quite as complete as it is now, as you could imagine, you know, pre-World War II. Um, so the bodies didn't last all that long, but I mean, come on, nine years for a Rolls Royce? You would think that it would last longer than that. It must have had heavy use. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. 
someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great. You see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's true, yeah. And the the chassis of this, it may have also been that the chassis was just better than the average chassis. Well, that could be. And that, you know, that was the donor car, I guess, right? So, yeah, I I don't know the story of this specific one. Like, I I don't know if it had a... um, if it took some damage of yeah, some sort? That's a possibility. Sure, yeah. sure. So when it was rebodied, it was rebodied by a company based in Belgium, Jonkier, which is around today. Uh, it, they build buses today. Yeah, commercial buses. So it's a it's a coach builder that uh, that, that currently builds buses and big vehicles. Uh, I kind of see the transition, I guess, here between uh, building something this large. This is a huge vehicle. I mean, it really is. The proportions are just immense. Yeah, it, it's kind of a bus anyway yeah yeah <laughs> uh, it's it's strange because the the vehicle is so long that you would think the interior was much larger mm-hmm. uh, but it's I, I think it's part of it is just the way that this the phantom makes such an entrance um, and one of the things that everybody notices about the phantom which i love but can be divisive to some people are those round suicide doors. Yeah, this is weird. Round doors. Yeah. And I, I've got a question about this. I wonder how this works because it says that it has, well, of course, it has round windows that go along with that, you know, yeah. round-shaped windows. Sure. But it says that when you roll them down, they roll down in a um, in a fan pattern. Mm-hmm. And I can understand, you know, I can see it kind of like rolling across. I'm, I'm arcing my arm across like you yeah, can yeah. see it. Like, uh, like the swing of a, um, like a second hand on a clock. Perfect. Is that uh, is that kind of how it works? I think. I, I mean, I'm guessing that that's what it means. Like, a, yeah. like the way a fan would open up, like you'd unfold it, unfurl it. Mm-hmm. That's how it works on my very, phantom. Very, very strange. Is <laughs> that right on your own phantom? Uh, uh, you don't have the stretched phantom one, though, right? No, I have oh. the compact phantom. Just the standard. <laughs> Just the standard. Yeah, yeah. So this one has been stretched. I mean, this. I mean, I keep talking about the proportions, but right. this has got a a fastback body design on it. So you can imagine that on this huge, um, you know, Rolls Royce chassis that they've already stretched. 
and they've they've made this long, long fastback, and the rear portion has an and oh, this is so cool. I love this feature: an 18-inch central fin, mm-hmm. which has uh, rows of louvers that extend all the way down the back. And I love that central fin design on, on race cars, on street cars, on whatever. Yeah. But you don't see it very often. Uh, but it's a, it's just a cool, um, a cool touch. You would think too that this would mean with all those vents, you would think that means the car has a rear engine, but it doesn't. Yeah, it still has the front engine. So, I mean, it's, it's just an exceptionally big and long vehicle and it looks really, really cool. I, I like this one a lot. Now, the one that you probably like even more, Scott, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you would probably prefer number two to the Rolls Royce. Uh, you know what? I, I might. This is an interesting vehicle. It's the 1955 Mercury D528 concept. Mm-hmm. And it was, I guess, like a, a, a proving ground vehicle for, for, um, for Mercury at the time or for Ford at the time because they used a lot of different experimental, um, uh, systems and components in this. They, I mean, for, just for example, they use an experimental Y block V8 under the hood. Um, and, you know, the Y block eventually became, you know, production. I mean, it was used yeah. in, uh, in fact, this became a, a whole family of overhead valve V8s uh, from about 1954 to 1964. But this is, again, 1955. They're using it in this vehicle as an experiment. Right. And that wasn't the only experiments. Now, the one thing that will stand out for most people when you look at this concept vehicle is it's going to be the uh, two bumps in the in the body that precede the tail lights. Yeah, right? this is so unusual because usually when we see tail fins, uh, they're very sharp. They're usually very, uh, very, um, yeah, they look like an airplane, obviously. Yeah. And this has, this does not look like that at all. I mean, they're, they're, uh, flowing almost like a fender. Yeah. Camel humps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's a good way to put it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so. But what's the purpose? Right. That's the question because when you first look at these, uh, well, at least when I first looked at them, I thought, huh, does this have two spare tires and are they stored vertically? That's weird. But here's why. One of their other experiments on this vehicle was a rear-mounted AC. So the idea was this would pipe up through the uh, the rear roof pillars, and it would go down over uh, the, the occupants, the passengers, and the driver of the vehicle uh, through the headliner. But because this was a, a concept and because of the nature of AC tech at the time, the AC evaporators they had to put in were enormous compared to the rest of the trunk space they had. So engineers put the gas tank under one of these bumps and then they put the spare tire vertically under the other bump. Uh, and as you know, that's not the best place to put a gas tank. No, no, no. You don't want to put a gas tank at the very back end of the vehicle where it's subject to collisions. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's funny when you look at that, you can see how the, you know, the tire shape, you can understand why they did that. Right. And they had to match the other side. They could have easily made the other one squared off. Oh, people um, would hate that. Well, that's the thing. It's not symmetrical. It'd be like that 1960s hot rod that we just talked about that's yeah. asymmetrical. And people, uh, uh, they would, they would not like that. Another thing, Ben, yeah. is that that whole body work, all that body work, maybe not all of it, but some of it is fiberglass. And remember, this is 1955, so that's pretty early. I mean, and Mercury wasn't really doing, uh, you know, Ford wasn't doing a lot of fiberglass back then. Right. I know General Motors was doing fiberglass with the Corvette, and they had other fiberglass experiments going on. But this is very early in the uh, in the days of um, of that type of technology. Now, one other thing, actually, two more things. Ben. What's that? Um, the D528 was also Ford's first pillarless hardtop, um, and so what? There's a, there's what looks like a pillar. Uh, it would be like a B pillar, I guess, in this yeah. car. So it's a four door vehicle, and it looks like it has a B pillar, but that's actually just um, 
like a like a piece of trim that rolls down with the windows when it goes uh-huh. down. So it doesn't have like that clean, you know, clear across glass look or anything. But um, but there is no pillar there. So when the windows are down, it's wide open. It's just a roll bar. And maybe the last thing, and I find this maybe the most intriguing bit about this whole thing. What's that? All right. So here's the way it goes. When when Ford was done with this concept, when they were done using it for their rolling test bed, uh, they delivered it to George Barris's custom shop on the very same day that they delivered the Lincoln Futura concept that Barris eventually transformed into the first Batmobile. Mm-hmm. So these two cars arrived at his shop on the same day. I know that he had probably looked at that one already, the Futura, and, and made up his mind. But, sure. but isn't it interesting to think that this one could have been just as easily been the Batmobile. It could have. And it I, didn't, didn't have that look, but. Yeah, um, I think it's just, it wasn't open top, you know? Yeah, and this one did end up in movies. It, it was sure. in a movie called Patsy in 1964 with Jerry Lewis. Um, and I'm sure that it made other film appearances as well, but, um, it, it's just strange that, you know, the two different paths these two cars took that went to, you know, Barris's shop. I mean, on the same day. How unusual is that? That is strange. Yeah. And yeah. I, it makes you wonder what kind of uh, car Batman could have driven. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Nice little bit of history, I thought. Yeah. The, uh, all right. Speaking of a nice little bit of history, this next one is, it's just wild, man. Yeah. Uh, Noel, could we get some, could we, could we get a drum roll? Perfect, ladies and gentlemen. Number one on this list, the 1967 Boot Hill Express Hot Rod. Yeah, and I bet a lot of people recognize this one from the uh, the plastic models that they have assembled back in the 1970s, 1980s. Yeah, because Monogram made a model, a, ki- a kit model of this vehicle that was wildly popular. I know that uh, I, I saw this on shelves everywhere when I was a kid. Yeah, because it looks so unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all right. Here's what here's what it is essentially. It's a funeral coach from the 1800s that's been transformed into a hot rod because of the engine they put in it, which is a Chrysler 462 Hemi V8. Yeah. So this was a car that was created in the, in the late 1960s, right at the, at the heart of that kind of hot rod centric culture that was going on with, uh, you know, the Ratfink character and Ed Roth and all that. It was just a, it's just a wild show car is what it is. And the story goes that this was used uh, to supposedly carry a James gang member to his final resting place at, at Boot Hill, at the Boot Hill Graveyard in Tombstone, Arizona. And the, the James gang member, if you're curious, his name was Bob Younger. That's, uh, that's the, the James gang member who was reportedly carried in this, in this funeral coach. Right. There in Tombstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this thing, I, I keep just inarticulately saying this thing mm-hmm. and waving my hands. I, it's got, it, it's got a separate, uh, it's got a separate driving, open air driving compartment, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just like a coach seat on a wagon. Uh, they've got, you know, they've got some leather upholstery there and, uh, a vertically mounted horizontal steering wheel mm-hmm. or nearly horizontal. It's a slight angle. And in the, and there are just those two seats in the front because the back is a glass enclosed, but glass, glass walled on four sides coach. Uh, with the space for a coffin, and that's about it. Yeah, what a cool looking car! And this is part of, and I kind of looked up where where this thing went. Now, now Farner took this on tour with him. It, there was also something called the uh, the Boot Hill Caravan. It was a traveling show that uh, toured drag strips and auto show the auto show circuit in the, in the late 1960s. And uh, if you if you want to look at this car, if you want to see it online right now, you can go to a, a site called Custom 
it's called customrama.com with a K. Yeah. K-U-S-T-O-M-R-A-M-A dot com. And, uh, and search for the cars, uh, you know, just search for Boot Hill Express and you'll find it. But along with, you know, photo of, I think, the builder. Um, right. pretty, pretty incredible vehicle. You'll see several different views there. But, uh, to, to me, Ben, this may be my favorite vehicle on the whole list. I mean, I know it's number one on, uh, on the popular mechanics list, but I think this might be my favorite. Really? You yeah. Know, I, I could see that. It's just for personal reasons. It's not going to take the number one spot from the Phantom for me, mm-hmm. but. This, yeah, this is, I mean, it does really look like a Roth drawing, yeah. you know? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's like uh, it's like a cartoon caricature brought to life. It really is. It's very strange. It's a cool-looking vehicle. I'd love to see it driving at some point. Oh, I've, never, I've never seen it in motion. Yeah, I, I haven't seen a video of it either. Um, I, I do have to say, though, you can't store a full-size coffin in it now because that engine is mounted dead center in the vehicle oh i see okay so so that's what you're seeing in in the uh behind the glass right yeah. oh man that must sound pretty cool um okay so here's another thing i want to mention about this whole thing about the uh, the vault tours and you know being able to go do that or, or not right now but maybe sometime soon in december of this year yeah i think that maybe the coolest part about this whole thing is that when you're when you're looking at the cars that they feature that they show you on the tour or whatever there's a lot of photos out there and if you look in the background of those photos you're going to find a lot of interesting stuff so you know things that maybe you'll see a shape that's covered up underneath the tarp that they don't want you to see oh yeah yeah i, I love that kind of thing so again the garage peeping thing i get it i mean i understand <laughs> that it's it's all tied in but I, I really do like looking in the background of the photos that they that that um, you know some of these people that have gone on the tours have taken, and uh, and just seeing some hidden gems down there, you know, some uh, some unexpected surprises. That's that's just so interesting to me. I would I would love to go and take this tour someday. Yeah, I would love to be able to watch people work on the cars too. Mm-hmm. That kind of restoration craft. Yeah, well, it's a working shop, so there yeah. might be a chance to to see that. But I mean, I guess if you're on a tour, you would probably just breeze right past them, you know. Yeah, I don't. Some people would. You and I probably wouldn't. <laughs> just stay back and maybe uh, grab a jacket or something so we look like them and kind of hang out. <laughs> I'd be the irritating guy who's like, "So what? What's going on here? What are you working on?" You know, and this isn't the only museum that that has a vault or has a basement or has a storage area or has you know some area that's off site maybe that they keep vehicles that are not quite ready for the you know for the big show. Yeah, um, I think we talked about uh, you know that amazing General Motors collection that's up in uh, I think it's Sterling Heights, Michigan. And uh, they have like I want to say it's either six or eight hundred cars, but they only display maybe two hundred at a time, and it's all private. You can't even go in there unless you know somebody or you have an event oh, scheduled. Yeah. Or it's a special, you know, uh, uh, showing of the vehicles. Uh-huh. Um, that collection is, is remarkable. And uh, again, you know, six hundred of them are tucked away, two hundred are on display. So that gives you an idea that you know where is their offsite uh, offsite storage, or, or are they keeping them there and you just can't see them? I don't know. But uh, it seems like museums all over the United States have areas like this. I know that the Chrysler Museum had something like this as well, uh-huh. a basement area with unfinished vehicles or cars that had just been donated, recently donated, that were in rough condition. They were trying to bring back. Um, you know, check out your local museum and ask them if there is something like this available. They might even, if you get just, if you ask the right person at the yeah. right time, you yeah. know, they're they're in a good mood. <laughs> maybe they'll let you peek in the door. You know, maybe, uh, especially if they're high enough level. If you're if you're diplomatic about it, you know, yeah. don't be, don't be too crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you do happen to see inside one of the hallowed halls of the ultra private, ultra exclusive, uh, auto museums, please let us know. I mean, don't take pictures if it's going to get you in trouble, but if you can take pictures, 
please send those pictures our way. <laughs> um, obviously, Scott, you and I have to get out to the Peterson Museum uh, sometime. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll wait till December so we're not just standing out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But uh, we would we would love to hear from anybody who's got an experience with the Peterson Museum. Uh, if you want to check out the other podcasts that we mentioned today, we talked about, let's see, we talked about the Dale Car, which is just, it's a crazy story. If you haven't heard it uh, and you're going to be driving around, then go ahead and pop that in and, and check out. I think it's a two-parter, it's right? It's a multi-part, yeah, yeah. but it's, uh, it, it takes that long to tell that story. That's, uh, yeah. that's an, it's an incredible story. Oh, it might even be three parts. Yeah, It might remember. be. Uh, but uh, tell us what you think about that. You can find every uh, every Car Stuff episode we've ever done on our website, carstuffshow.com. And if you have a suggestion for a museum or another topic we should cover, uh, anything from uh, the Helicarrier and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to the Hellcat with Dodge, uh, then write to us directly. We are Car Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug right, needed. Let's go. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. <laughs> you can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Oh, oh, oh. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash Zero. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.